Hello and welcome to Rounding the Earth. I'm your host, Matthew Crawford, and I'm back from a from an eight-day trip to Tennessee where um, I went to the Children's Health Defense Conference, uh, which was a pleasure, though perhaps uh, slightly too short. I uh, got, got to meet a whole lot of people um, and, and people that I've become friends with over the past couple of years, but um, it was only a day and a half event, and, and that was perhaps the one flaw. Um, I, I, I haven't even bothered, haven't, haven't fully unpacked my car. I didn't bother to shave, so forgive me for that. Um, but today we have we have a, a really, this is an exciting talk because um, I have, I've um, done a fair bit of reading into what happened during 9-11, fair bit of conversation with uh, lots of smart people um, and people on you know various levels or sides of the debate. Um, but it's become a bit more interesting to me during the pandemic because, um, you know, there, there are so many things that seem to happen in parallel. There's so much about both events where if, if you do think that there was uh, perhaps a, a planning of the event, there are, there are a lot of incentives um, that appear once you start examining from that perspective. And we'll talk about that some today. But uh, what I'm what I'm, you know, what we're here for is we're bringing in, you know, the real experts, um, you know, there are a handful of people in the world who have looked into this the most from the outside and done the best, um, you know, gathering of evidence, uh, and, and people capable of logically sorting it out. Uh, one of those is Richard Gage, who um, I believe is the founder, but he was the um, you know, head of the uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth organization. Uh, I believe I have that correct. I'll, I'll bring him in here and he can correct me on any of the uh, particulars. Uh, hi, Richard. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing, Matthew? I'm well, thanks. All right. Fantastic. You know, I, I started to introduce you, but I, I'm, I'm going to let you uh, finish with your credentials here. Oh, yeah, you bet. Um, I'm uh, a 30-year architect, uh, the founder and former CEO of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, and uh, I'm now working independently at richardgage911.org with my wife and assistant, Gail, who uh, is helping me to uh, achieve an unparalleled level of success uh, with uh, 50 interviews already this year uh, and uh, 75 podcasts. And we're making a film now, 9-11 Crime Scene to Courtroom, which we'll be talking about, too. So I'm delighted to be here with you. Well, I, I had no idea that you were uh, ramping up again, but I guess uh, that makes sense because um, yeah, uh, so much has happened over the past two and a half, almost three years now. Um, oh, yeah. And it, it does seem that like there are a lot of parallels. Um, one of the things that I believe from the start of the pandemic, and, you know, and I'll let you start your presentation in a moment, but um, you know, part of the reason that I started paying a lot of attention was uh, you know, in September of 2019, you know, we saw the repo markets go crazy. And I thought, well, this is the beginning of something spectacular, right? Um, I had, you know, uh, I, I'm a veteran of Wall Street. I had a number of friends who were, you know, talking in whispers about some sort of an event that was coming, some sort of consolidation of power. In fact, that phrase was used multiple times, a cons that uh, people believed that there was a consolidation of power, and yet almost nobody would actually speak of, of, uh, of what was going on. So those who, um, you know, maybe they didn't know, maybe they themselves only heard whispers, but in a way that they trusted, right, from their own hierarchies. 
Um, so when when the pandemic began, I framed it in terms of that, and um, and because of that, I think I was able to predict a lot of you know the way things would happen as they were happening, and be skeptical of a lot of things that clearly turned out to be you know false or outright lies. Um, but it, it is um, the incentives are clear. There's a very large power play going on in the world. Um, but I'm going to let you begin uh, at the you know with. Um, so you've got uh, sort of two levels of presentation uh, for us. You're going to start with um, what happened with the buildings that not, on 9-11 mm-hmm. with the World Trade Center. And then you're going to talk about the parallels between um, those events and those of today. And um, this this may take a couple of hours. So, you know, anybody who's watching, you know, uh, uh, get comfortable, get your favorite drink and let's go. Yeah, because you you nailed it. Uh, there, there is a power play and... Uh, it didn't start with COVID. In fact, it didn't start with uh, with uh, 9-11 uh, 20 years ago, 21 years ago now. Uh, it, it started uh, decades uh, prior to that and even before. So we've, um, we're, we're pulling up threads of, of ancient history when we talk about manipulations of populations by government. And uh, I'm... I'm, I became particularly concerned, uh, having been lied to. Uh, I, I just felt anger at my core in 2006 when I, for the first time, heard an alternative theory about what happened to the towers on 9-11. Uh, I was on my way back from a, a construction observation meeting uh, in uh, Lafayette, uh, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, I was shocked to hear David Ray Griffin who was being interviewed by Bonnie Faulkner on her show Guns and Butter on KPFA. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, it, it, it blew my mind because all of a sudden uh, I'm hearing uh, that, that there were explosions associated with the destruction of the tower. I mean, before the towers came down, I'm hearing that there was a third tower that came down. I'm going, what? I'm an architect. I would have heard. I would have heard it I, I, about it. I I would know. Um, and uh, so, this this just launched me. I found out that that yeah, we'd all been lied to about 9/11, but how bad is it? Uh, it, it it's really bad. And um, so I'll you share. are digging in until five years after. Yeah, I I was I swallowed the the official narrative. Hook, line, and sinker. Like most other Americans, I, I just I saw the towers coming down that morning on TV. I was in shock. Uh, of course, with most other Americans, that th- this is incredible. We'd never seen a tower come down like this. The twin towers were were uh, quite explosive, uh, and and we were told that it came down by airplanes and and f- and fire uh, and uh, but. Uh, we'll get into that, but uh, it, 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 just, it was just too much going on in the world, too much fear being put out. All of a sudden, we can be attacked, you know, from a cave in Afghanistan, and, and none of us are safe anymore. Uh, uh, Al-Qaeda terrorist cells could be in our neighborhood, et cetera. So I'll begin to share this with you if you'd like to add my screen. Oh, Absolutely. So um, since, uh, uh, well, a year now, uh, Gail and I have been uh, speaking uh, around the country 
uh, to conferences and uh, and attending e events. And we uh, are not alone. Uh, I've assembled 3,500 architects and engineers signed on to the petition demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers. And we've become uh, an unstoppable force, uh, even as independent at Richard Gage 9-11. Now, I've begun to look at two events that radically changed American society and, and the world in the last two years, particularly because there's political, cultural, economic, and geopolitical changes uh, that are are extraordinary associated with 9-11 and COVID. And so the, the question that I asked myself is, were these the intended outcomes? Were In other words, were these planned events to achieve societal change? And as you described, Matthew, a power play. Well, to answer that question, we have to look for patterns. We connect the dots and no one has done that uh, more fearlessly. Um, well, many have, uh, but Kevin Ryan uh, developed the uh, parallels between 9-11 and COVID. And what I did is, is assemble and codify them. He found that, uh, gosh, if, if there are connections, well, let's look for foreknowledge of planned events, right? Were there drills? Was there insider trading? Was there predictive programming or foreshadowing of these events put out on the media and, and government uh, and, uh, uh, and and politically? Uh, is it is it put out there? Is there an elusive, powerful enemy? Is there a climate of fear that's been created? Is there extreme control and information of information and practices by powerful state agencies? Is there an abuse of science? Are there responses that are far more harmful than the original problem? Is there a real investigation? Are there false official accounts? Is there media censorship? Is questioning being even allowed? A manipulating, shifting narrative? A serious conflicts of interest with suspicious benefits for insiders? Implementation of draconian policies and surveillance. Well, let's just start at the third tower because, you know, most people don't even know about it. In fact, most architects and engineers don't even know about the third worst structural failure in modern history. I mean, this is, this is it, 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 an amazing state of affairs. This should be the most studied failure ever. It wasn't hit by a plane. Uh, so we have an, an incredible level. Yeah, if I could kind of just, to, just to, you know, um, to say that for people, you know, in, in, uh, you know, downtown Manhattan, you know, you've got these, you know, they're, they're the twin towers, but there were a number of, of buildings in there in that, in, you know, that, that financial center. And, uh, and one of those, which was not nearly as tall as the two twin towers, but was it, itself a, a substantial building, you know, uh, um, a lot of buildings down there are just giant buildings. Um, but there was a third building, and it was uh, a, a little bit of a distance from the first two. But um, the first two fell down, and then the third one fell down later. And, uh, it was, you know, it, it, it's got to be a different story, but, you know, I'll, I'll let you continue. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's uh, 
it's a it's probably the most important part of the story because people call this the smoking gun of 9-11. And uh, so we, we have incredible censorship since not one of the 90,000 members of the American Institute of Architects got even one bulletin on this, the third worst structural failure in modern history after the Twin Towers. So, I mean, here's a, it, you know, it was, the story itself was subjugated because the size of this building is only half the height of the Twin Towers, right? But this is the tallest building in most of our states. Uh, it's it's incredible. Um, uh, 47 stories tall, about 100 yards of football field away from the North Tower, part of the World Trade Center complex, but just outside the Superblock. So here it is surviving just fine when the towers came down. Uh, and yet uh, something else happens at 5.20 in the afternoon um, that day. The East Penthouse comes down first, and then the whole building drops like a rock, straight down, uniformly, symmetrically into its own footprint. And you say, well, wait a minute. How did I miss that? You know, what brought this building down? Well, let's get into it. Here's the official narrative from Sham Sunder of the NIST organization or agency, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. What we found was that uncontrolled building fires caused an extraordinary event. The collapse of World Trade Center 7 was primarily due to fire. Wait a minute. So this building didn't come down because of the towers coming down. There was some damage to building seven, but even NIST says this is not a significant factor in the building's collapse. So, so just coincidentally on the same day that these two giant towers come down after being hit by planes, just coincidentally, this other, this other nearby skyscraper just happens to fall down also. I mean, that, that's essentially the story. I mean, the fire was yep. related supposedly, but nothing like I mean, really, it's almost like just declaring a total coincidence. Oh, yeah. Well, not only that, but they, they don't even tell people about it. Uh, there's 11 videos of it. And, did, and, and go back for just a second. I don't know if you can play that again. Watch yeah. his first blink. His oh, first Sean blink. Sunder? His first what blink. The body language is interesting. Controlled building fires caused an extraordinary event. The collapse of World Trade Center 7 was primarily due to fire. He was holding his eyes wide open. He had sort of a, a, a mini <laughs> blink, and then he had the, the deliberate blink. All right. Um, well, at any rate, it's a false official account uh, because uh, of the evidence you're about to see. I mean, this can't be true. What, what are those fires that are said to have brought this building down? Well, these are them. They are few, they are small, and they are scattered uh, throughout the building. So, uh, and we're told these are the fires that, brought this mammoth building down uh, for the first time ever? Well, these fires were out uh, over an hour before the building came down. So they couldn't have ca been causing the thermal expansion that is blamed for the cause of this building. I mean, fires have never brought down steel frame skyscrapers in history uh, ever. It's just, it's just not a thing. Uh, we, we have uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of a uh, very hot, large and long lasting uh, 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 fires in these buildings. So uh, 
not one of them. This is the first time in history. It sh- it's an extraordinary claim. It, it should not, um, it, it should be the most studied failure ever, in fact, because again, no plane hit this building. Let's compare it to a series of known controlled demolitions on the right. Uh, building seven on the left. Is there any similarity? Is there enough similarity, at least to a warrant a, an official investigation into the into this building's collapse, especially since it looks exactly like a controlled demolition, especially since fire, the official cause of this building's collapse, has never brought down a steel frame fireproof skyscraper. So ever. Question. question. Um, recently, I saw a whole bunch of I, I've talked with a couple of engineers about this, but um, recently I saw a whole bunch of buildings being demolished in China then they were not being brought down symmetrically into their footprint. I don't know if you've seen this, but you know, just because their real estate market is so screwed up, they're just demolishing buildings left and right. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing, right? To get a building to, to free fall, collapse into its own footprint without really tilting over and, and going everywhere. It, from, from what I've been told, and, and, and let me know um, exactly how correctly I have this information, there are only a handful of demolition firms in the world capable of doing that. No, nope, that's that absolutely true. This is a this is not a science. And guess what? Fire doesn't do this. And when they uh, w- when we have controlled demolitions, we have a series of of features associated with them. There's a sudden onset of destruction, like we have with Building Seven. There's a straight down symmetrical collapse, typically if that's what they want to achieve. And that's what we have with building seven. How do they do that? We have to remove the core columns uh, all at once, followed by the perimeter columns in order to achieve that. Uh, it results in a, a free fall acceleration straight down through the path of what was the greatest resistance. Uh, we have limited damage to adjacent structures. That's one of the goals of controlled demolition. There's patterned explosions and flashes of light associated with these. The the concrete floors are broken up, in this case with Building 7, pulverized. There's explosive charges visible at many floors. And there's chemical evidence or residue of explosives, in this case incendiaries, uh, left behind in the residue. That's all direct evidence of destruction with explosives, not fire. We have no evidence, in fact, of destruction from fire. So with additional circumstantial corroborative evidence that we get into in our our normal webinar with government documentation for knowledge of the destruction, experts agreeing, yeah, that's a controlled demolition. Well, with at least those experts without financial or political obligations that might sway their objective opinion in the matter. And with the video documentation, this can be proof of controlled demolition, a body of proof that we apply to World Trade Center 7, finding that, yeah, you'd have to take out all the core columns, followed by the perimeter columns about a second later, in order to bring this building down in the manner of the that the videos show. Do, does fire have this level of precision? No, <laughs> never has, especially these fires, right? Uh, they're few, small, and scattered. So this is the abuse of science that we're looking at here again, trying to uh, blame fire. Why? Well, they decided for whatever reason to blow this building up and uh, they had to find another reason, uh, another story to tell the American public 
uh, because uh, that was not palatable, obviously. This was a deceptive controlled demolition, a part of a false flag operation designed to manipulate the American people and the people around the world to invade two other countries, Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, we'll get into that. We did not find any evidence that explosives were used in the collapse of Building 7. We ran down detailed computer simulations of blast scenarios. This size blast would have produced an incredibly loud sound that was not recorded on videos of the collapse, nor reported by witnesses. Okay, no, is there, was there a real investigation? Because uh, we do, in fact, have uh, at least half a dozen in my webinar uh, witnesses of explosions at Building 7, uh, like uh, Daryl, uh, a, a medical student. We were watching the building, actually, because it was on fire. The, uh, the bottom floors of the, the building were on fire, and... Uh, you know, we heard this this sound that sounded like a clap of thunder. Turned around, we were shocked to see that the building was, uh, uh, well, it looked like there was um, a shock wave uh, ripping through the building and the windows all uh, busted out. And, you know, it was horrifying. Then Wow. How about this gentleman, a medical student, uh, Kevin McPadden, not a student, a medical officer uh, with the Air Force. He was on hand. And then it was like another two, three seconds. You heard explosions, like boom. It's like a distinct sound. It's not like when the compression, like boom, 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 like floors that were dropping and collapsing. This was boom, and like you felt a rumble in the ground, like almost like you wanted to grab onto something. That, to me, I knew that was an explosion. There was no doubt in my mind. And this gentleman. I'm going to call in Bill Rosati. He was here when it all happened. He saw it for himself. Bill, if you can just tell us what uh, you saw, what you heard. Uh, I was standing like two blocks away, and all of a sudden I just seen a big flash, and then I seen the building coming down, and I just seen people just running everywhere, chaotic light. And now we have flashes of light. And this gentleman who, along with Mayor uh, Giuliani's attorney, Michael Hess, was going back into the building to attend a meeting they thought was happening, but the building had already been evacuated. When we got to the eighth floor, I started walking to one side of the building. That side of the building was gone. The first explosion I heard when I was on the stairwell landing, when we made it down to the sixth floor. Then we made it back to the eighth floor, I heard some more explosions. You know, also the sound? Like a boom, like, like an explosion. More than one? Yes. We started walking down the stairs, we made it to the eighth floor. Big explosion. Blew us back into the eighth floor. When we get outside, police officer comes to me and says, you have to run. We have more information of bombs, so you have to run. Well, information of bombs? And like this, heard in the late morning of 9-11 also? Yeah, here's one of the guys, he can tell you I'm okay, all right? Here, hold on. You wanna call, you, you call your mother or something? Oh, not one of these witnesses of explosions were included in the NIST report. Uh, they claim to have interviewed uh, a thousand witnesses. <laughs> they conveniently uh, forgot about these, perhaps the most important. There's another witness they did not forget. That is the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, which picked up explosions going off near the time of the collapse. So they say they were produced by the collapse, but if we look carefully, we find 
that the signals occur at 520 and 42 seconds, uh, but the collapse doesn't happen until 10 seconds later. So how can the signals be caused by the collapse? Well, NIST has an answer to this. They said, well, this is likely due to the falling of debris from inside the building because they have this whole theory that the inside caved in uh, starting 10 seconds earlier, which is ludicrous and disproven in our webinars. So the question then is, well, was there foreknowledge of this event? Uh, because if it was planned in advance, people would know about it, right? Well, listen to these construction workers. Uh, interestingly, construction workers, not uh, rescue personnel, uh, walking away from Building 7, hearing an explosion over their shoulder, looking back at the building, and then looking straight into the CNN camera and saying this. We are walking back. It's a building about to blow up. Wait a minute. The building is about to blow up. How do they know the building is about to blow up and that flame and debris will be coming down? Steel frame skyscrapers that have small fires in them or any fires, even large engulfing, fully engulfed fires have never brought down a steel frame fire protected skyscraper. And so how about what this gentleman had heard, he had heard about explosions, but prior to that, he and others were held back six blocks away. They're listening to the, he's listening to a, a radio held in the hands of a Red Cross worker. Listen to what he's hearing. At the last few seconds, he took his hand off and you heard three, two, one. Wait a minute. <laughs> Do fires bring buildings down to countdowns now? <laughs> What's really going on here? This is an incredible uh, set of circumstances. And yet not to be outdone, the BBC announced the collapse of this building 20 minutes before it even happened. Let's see. There we now, go. More on the latest building collapse in New York. You might have heard a few moments ago was talking about the Salomon Brothers building collapsing. And indeed it has. Apparently that's only a few hundred yards away from where the World Trade Center towers were. And it seems that this was not a result of a new attack. It was because the uh, building had been weakened uh, during uh, this morning's attacks. We'll probably find out more now about that from our correspondent, Jane Stanley. Jane, what more can you tell us about the Salomon Brothers building and its collapse? Well, only really what you already know. Details are very, very sketchy. The sketchy indeed. There it is standing behind her, and they've announced the collapse. Uh, they, they, I, guess, I guess they got the story out too soon. Uh, they apologize for this grievous event, citing the confusing events of the day. What does that make them psychic, Matthew? I mean, what's really going on here? So obviously these are false official accounts, in this case put out before the event even occurs, which is a, a dead giveaway. By the way, we'll see some of the same things in a minute coming up uh, for uh, the COVID uh, uh, scam. Um, so we have all the key characteristic features of controlled demolition, some very uncharacteristic features as well. Uh, direct evidence of destruction is what these are, not evidence of fire, none of them, uh, let alone all of them, with additional circumstantial corroborative uh, 
uh, eyewitness testimony, et cetera. That is proof of controlled demolition for 3,500 architects and engineers signed on to the petition demanding a new investigation. So we have to ask ourselves, if this third tower came down by controlled demolition and they lied about it, do we need to also look at the evidence about the Twin Towers and see if there's some funny business going on here, too? And indeed, there is. Was Ray, there a real you have a question from the audience here. Uh, yeah. They said, I wonder how much of the periphery was evacuated, as would, as would be the case with the demolition. Periphery of, of uh, uh, the World Trade Center site? Yeah. Um, yes, uh, it, it was evacuated. I mean, planes hit twin towers. The, the emergency crews needed space to work. They're trying to evacuate thousands of people. So yes, uh, they, they was there additional yeah. evacuation with uh, with Tower Seven? They they had moved everybody back because they were expecting it to come down. It was anticipated that it would come down, and that's why uh, Kevin McPadden was held back six blocks with others. Uh, away from the building uh, because they said it had structural damage, uh, which, you know, some of the beams did hit building seven from the twin towers. So it had some structural damage, but this was clearly not a reason uh, for its collapse whatsoever. Yeah. So we have to ask ourselves, was there a real investigation uh, of the twin towers because we know there wasn't with regard to Building 7, right? Well, the 9-11 Commission uh, leaders themselves said they were set up to fail, Thomas Keene and Lee Hamilton. It was, was not considered to be the last word on the attacks, but only a beginning. Why did they say that? Uh, we'll, we'll find out uh, soon here. Uh, Tim Romer, we're extremely frustrated with the false statements we were getting. This is from the CIA, the White House, uh, and... Um, in the Air Force. Max Cleland resigned from the commission, citing this investigation is compromised. It's a national scandal. America is being cheated. This White House wants to cover it up. Well, what were they covering up? And the attorney for the 9-11 Commission says, I was shocked at how different the truth was from the way it was described. There was an agreement not to tell the truth. This is in his book, The Ground Truth. He says the court... Uh, what government, uh, what government and military officials told Congress, the commission, the media, and the public about who knew what and when was almost entirely and inexplicably true. This is uh, according to Harry Levins. He, he, untrue. Untrue. Thank you. <laughs> That's a slight Im important uh, detail there. Um, so we turn to the oral histories of the first responders because... Thomas Von Eschen, the, the, the fire commissioner, uh, wanted to preserve these accounts before they became reshaped by a collective memory. So there's 12,000 pages of testimony, 500 firefighters, and the court uh, finally forced the city to reveal this in these transcripts uh, to the New York Times, who was suing them under, under FOIA. I think it was FOIA. And... Uh, uh, so in 2005, we finally learn about this. Now, Graham McQueen read uh, all uh, 12,000 pages of, he, he's a professor in, in Canada. He did an excellent job and found out 
that indeed the government was censoring this material for uh, reasons. Because when he read the transcripts, he finds that 118 firefighters, now 156, were observing flashes, sounds of explosions, and other phenomena of explosive demolition, mostly before the towers came down. We felt the ground shake, one of them says. You could see the towers sway, and then it just came down. All of a sudden, the ground just started shaking. Felt like a train running under my feet. The next thing we know, we look up, and the tower is collapsing. It shook my bones shortly before the first tower came down. I remember feeling the ground shaking. I heard a terrible noise, and then debris just started flying everywhere. Listen to these guys. It was like it was if, if it had detonated. Yeah, you know, detonated. They were planned yeah. to take down a building. Boom, 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 boom. All the way down. It goes on and on and on. There's there's 15 minutes of these testimonies in my webinar, which, by the way, is available um, at the website, richardgage911.org. You can uh, see all of them. We'll, we'll put that link in the in the video. Thanks. Um, so this is extreme control of information and, and practices by intelligence and other agencies trying to keep information out of the hands of, of, of people. And so, I mean, just look at it. On the left, we have World Trade Center 1. On the right, we have a volcanic eruption. Is there any similarity here? Uh, if it doesn't look like, and, and we'll get to the actual video of the building's collapse, but uh, we have upward, outward arching streamers, uh, a freely flying molten uh, objects trailed by thick white smoke clouds. A right. geometry of fireworks, not a yeah. I was going to say fireworks. That's what it looks like, and and for a lot of you know, a lot of people aren't going to be able to intuitively think through the physics of something like that. But you know, when you imagine just sort of you know chaos going outward, but then the force of gravity beginning to you know bring it back down, you you get this you know very familiar looking shape, like uh, you know something that you might see in a uh, Carlsbad caverns or some giant cave with. Um, yeah, all the stalactites hanging down, but yeah. that's what it becomes. And it's unmistakable. Yeah, it really is. I mean, take a look at the evidence of explosions here in the South Tower. I mean, we have asymmetrical damage from the fires, the planes, uh, and the building, which in this case in the South Tower is starting to fall off. But we have complete symmetrical uh, destruction down all four faces of the building. And if you zoom in, uh, you begin to see the leading corner of these of this destruction is not a building collapsing, which we're told is going on a gravitational collapse, twenty stories or so taller, but a series of explosive events occurring every third floor or so. Individual explosions. Anything but natural. So we have false official accounts telling us it's a gravitational collapse, but something else is going on, which we see very uh, clearly in the case of the squibs or isolated explosive ejections occurring here, here, <clears throat> and up to 20, 40, even 60 stories down, we have these isolated explosive ejections, which cannot possibly be explained by a collapsing building, which we don't even see. 
uh, at all in any of the videos uh, up above. Uh, these are not puffs of air. These are uh, solids that are expelled uh, uh, clearly seen uh, in, in these um, uh, video uh, vignettes. Uh, on the South Tower, on the left side, in this looped video, we can see dozens of these explosive, uh, well, at least a dozen, <clears throat> uh, explosive isolated ejections, uh, which is responsible for destroying the integrity internally of the South Tower, which is why it begins to fall to the right, but then it begins to settle back in on itself because it's not a solid object anymore after a few seconds of this explosive destruction uh, no question um you have so much uh you know video and, and comparison footage um do you have something like a comparison footage of a building being demolished where you see those puffs of smoke those yeah. squids oh yeah you saw them uh, in fact uh when we compared it to uh, building seven and we'll see some more i think uh coming up here let's see how i had to trim this this uh, program down quite a bit to, to fit in our time constraints. But uh, on the webinar at richardgage911.org, you see all of that indeed. Well, the National Fire Protection Association Guide 921 is the guide for not only this country, but several. And it says uh, for fire and explosion investigation, look for shrapnel effects. High order damage characterized by shattering the structure, producing small pulverized debris with the building completely demolished and debris thrown great distances. Well, that's what we have. You can see it in the net result <laughs> at the bottom. Everything is uh, shattered, save these remaining shards of the the building. Uh, everything else has been uh, dis uh distributed 600 feet in every direction, uh, like shrapnel, uh, well outside the the perimeter of the towers, broken down to its original, uh, their original lengths, in the case of the columns, 37 and a half feet. But they also say in this document, this guide for investigation, look for blast pressure wave effects. Well, what's that? Heavy structural steel pieces freely flying and embedded into the buildings uh, surrounding uh, from 300 up to 600 feet can, in can every I, can direction. I stop right there. So I, I, I debated this a little bit with a friend, uh, you know, maybe three, four years ago. They said, you know, I, I could see just that the shrapnel bringing down like a building around it. And uh, and and, you know, this is this is one of those conversations, you know, obviously this is a person who doesn't um, I, I don't know, um, who who is not skilled or intuitive with with the physics of something like that but i'm going to mention an event that uh i was um within minutes of witnessing in 1998 uh, i was working um on on uh, for a hedge fund uh just off of times square 45th street and one of the big cranes there are a few of these tallest cranes in the world that help build skyscrapers right one of those cranes collapsed and fell down onto the street between some of these skyscrapers and it killed a person. And I'm sure somebody can find a, a newspaper article about this. Um, but this, this giant crane, I mean, that's so much weight. That's so much, you know, it, it, pinballing between skyscrapers and they were just fine. You know, and, and nobody even thought, you know, this might, you know, uh, destroy the integrity of, of these buildings, but, you know, much, much more, much larger and heavier than that piece that you show, uh, at the Winter Gardens right there. Yeah, good point. Um, these are highly redundant structural steel uh, forms. Uh, the, the, the 
the per, the perimeter and core uh, structures are robustly designed, uh, redundantly, uh, an isolated failure cannot cause the uh, the collapse of the whole building. It has never happened in history uh, for steel frame skyscrapers. So when when these uh, four and eight ton structural steel sections are ejected and they're freely flying uh, laterally ejected up to 300 to 600 feet away like this one wait a minute back to forward to back to three forward that's laterally ejected gravity works how down <laughs> so this is a freely flying structural steel section ejected laterally then gravity takes over and before it looks like it's hitting building seven there, uh, begins to uh, arc down. And by the way, we'll, we'll, we'll take a closer look at what's trailing that laterally ejected structural steel section. So again, we have a manipulated narrative. We're told that there's a collapse, but the evidence is all showing explosive uh, ejections here. By the way, if 100,000 tons of steel framing is distributed well outside the footprint, hundreds of, of uh, feet, uh, what's crushing the building? This is more than a third of the weight of the building, the steel, 100,000 tons altogether. What's crushing the building if the steel is in midair ejected laterally? It's not the steel, is it? Well, maybe it's the concrete. Let's look for the concrete because we don't find missing the miss. We find that the floors are missing down at the bottom. There's 110 floors of concrete in these buildings, each of them, 90,000 tons in each of them. We're looking for 110 of them. We don't find 50. We don't find 10. We don't find one acre sized floor at the bottom. Why? This is a gravitational collapse, we're told. But like gravitational collapses on the right, we see a real one in Mexico where we have pancakes stacked up, right? Um, where's the concrete? Oh, there it is. It's pulverized in midair. 90,000 tons of concrete in each building. Pulverized. All the photos, all the videos show exactly that. And it's pulverized to 100 micron particles distributed across from river to river across lower Manhattan in a blanket three inches thick. So if 90,000 tons of concrete in each building is pulverized and distributed like that, what's crushing the building? Wasn't the steel, wasn't the concrete. Here's another third of the weight of the building at least. Two-thirds of the weight of the building is not available to crush the building. And yet we're told that this is a gravitational collapse that crushed the building all the way down to the ground, according to Zidanek Bazant from Chicago Northwestern University in his peer-reviewed paper that was submitted just two days after 9-11. All the rest of us are freaked out about these attacks on our country. He's in his den cranking away on the theory 
that became and remains today the key theoretical basis for NIST's collapse theory of these buildings. It's a complete abuse of science, leading to <clears throat> further abuse in the documentation of 10,000 pages in the $20 million funded of your and my tax money to explain how and why these buildings came down. <clears throat> Did they? No. There's 10,000 pages, but only half a page speculating on the events following the collapse initiation. In other words, the actual collapse. And they hid it in footnote 13 on page 82. Congress tasked them to explain the collapses, but they had their own agenda. And here it is. The focus of the investigation was on the sequence of events from the instant of aircraft impact to the initiation of collapse. Doesn't include structural behavior of the tower after conditions for a collapse initiation were reached. Well, wait a minute. You spent 10,000 pages and you only have one page or half a page on the initiation of collapse. And, and, that, and that is on the initiation of collapse, not the collapse itself. This is complete um, uh, abuse. Uh, there's no real investigation whatsoever. In fact, if there couldn't be, uh, well, there could have been, but they further hampered their own investigation uh, because in easily the largest and most perplexing structurals in modern history we have 400 truckloads a day removing all but uh, 256 pieces of debris. This is the illegal destruction of evidence in a crime scene. It was sent to China for recycling within weeks, starting just weeks after 9-11. So they have extreme control of the narrative. Uh, 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 in, in this case, abuse of science. I, I'm, I may be misremembering this, but um, I, I thought uh, something was sent to Japan. I, am I? Am I just? Uh, no, I have no no uh, okay. data supporting that. Probably India, China, yes, China, yes. But <clears throat> we're talking about. Um, uh, we're told that these fires, which are diminished at the time of the collapse, as you can see by the thick black smoke, brought these towers down. Well, can cooler fires cause weakening of structural steel? <clears throat> it's actually possible, but we have evidence that shows that it's not just weakening of structural steel. It is melting of structural steel. Lots and lots of evidence and eyewitness testimony of molten steel, they call it. It's actually molten iron. Uh, pouring out of the crab claw excavator here. Uh, this is direct evidence of something much hotter because uh, steel does not melt or iron until about begins to melt at about 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit, twice the, the, the temperatures of the very hottest office fires. We can tell how hot this material is by its color. And so this is 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit minimum. 2800 obviously to begin to melt uh, and, and what, what would you tell a you know a, a skeptic of of your theory here um somebody who might say well sure maybe it, it all got that hot well the problem is that jet fuel only burns 600 degrees fahrenheit according to me petroleum the major manufacturer 
of this material. It's basically kerosene. In open air, it only burns 600 degrees. So and, uh, and we have 2,500 degrees. Most office fires don't get hotter than a, a 500 to 1,000 degrees, except in extreme circumstances, which we do not even have here. And that's only uh, uh, 1,500 degrees or so. Here, we have another 1,000 degrees of unaccounted for temperature. What can account for that? So we have metal dripping from a beam, says this firefighter. Molten steel beams. Uh, the World Trade Center structural engineer himself. There's a river of steel flowing. You know, are these credible witnesses? I think so. Concrete melted. Uh, and I don't even know concrete can melt. It melts at 3,200 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, fire temperature is so intense. Concrete melted like lava around everything in its path. Steel members in the debris pile appear to have been partly evaporated in extraordinarily high temperatures, says Dr. Jonathan Barnett, the author of the FEMA report before the NIST report that came out in 2002. There's a problem here, though. It takes 4,000 degrees to evaporate steel. How do we get those temperatures in office fires or with jet fuel? We don't. We don't get half of those temperatures. We don't get a third or a quarter of those temperatures typically. We're talking about a very unique furnace historically in order to even get to temperatures that high in order to be able to make steel. Um, you know, this, this was no small undertaking for humanity. It had to build these great rooms where all the heat was trapped, right, and, and channeled um, with, with, uh, with the right airflow in order to get temperatures up high enough to do yeah, this. It takes oxygen, uh, force oxygen to, to, yeah, to melt girders in it, it, it's not an easy thing to do and we've never seen this in any kind of fire i've ever heard of no the firefighters don't see melting steel in fires uh not not steel beams uh like this uh documented by uh a, a very well-known structural engineer abelhausen astani ozel from uc berkeley documented in fact by fema themselves in a metallurgical examination incorporated into Appendix C of their Building Performance Assessment Team report that came out in 2002. Let's look at it. Never before observed eutectic reactions causing intergranular melting, turning a solid steel girder into Swiss cheese, like we see from this piece of steel from World Trade Center 7. Rapid oxidation, sulfidation, a liquid iron, that's molten iron, by the way, hot sulfur corrosion attack on the steel. Wait a minute. Well, how do we get all of this in the World Trade Center 7 steel? And what happened to this report? When, uh, when NIST took over the investigation in 2002, they eliminated it. They eliminated the witnesses of explosions. They eliminated the photographs of molten steel. They eliminated this published report on the hot sulfur corrosion attack on the steel. This is complete uh, abuse of science is what we're talking about. Well, what can produce all of that heat was your, what you were really getting at there, Matthew. Um, let's uh, see if thermite is a possibility. And what is thermite anyway? An incendiary used by the military, thermite is a compound of iron oxide and aluminum, which when ignited sustains an extreme heat reaction, creating molten iron. 
In just two seconds, thermite can reach temperatures over 4,500 degrees Fahrenheit, quite enough to liquefy steel. We know that open air fires cannot burn hot enough to melt steel, but metal had melted at the base of the towers. Appendix C of the FEMA report describes sulfur residues on the World Trade Center steel. The New York Times called this the deepest mystery of all. Sulfur slightly lowers the melting point of iron, and iron oxide and iron sulfide had formed on the surface of the structural steel. Sulfur used with thermite is called thermate, producing even faster results. Well, maybe we're getting somewhere here. Because if thermite were used, it would account for the incredible temperatures. It produces 4,000 degree temperatures. It would account for the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, sulfur, which is added to thermite to become thermate, much more effective at cutting through steel. And it would account for the elemental iron, which we're about to see a whole lot of evidence for. We haven't used iron in our skyscrapers for 100 years. This is not structural steel. Uh, which is an alloy. This is pure elemental iron. So let's look further because uh, the NFPA 921 says, look for unusual residues that could arise from thermite or other pyrotechnic materials. Uh, NIST says they found no corroborating evidence to suggest that explosives were used. But a year later, they finally admit in writing, NIST did not test for the presence of explosive residues. You probably won't find what you're unwilling to look for. So others did though. And in fact, it wasn't that hard to find. Dr. Stephen Jones does analysis on several of these and he found evidence of thermite, which we have in our webinars. But also he notes that uh, it would produce a white, yellow, hot liquid metal like we see pouring out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse. Uh, and like we can tell from its color, what its temperature is exceeding at least 2,500 degrees. Uh, and, and, says, and can I stop there for a moment? Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I, I remember I've seen that video before, but here's a thought. If that is liquid metal pouring out of one side or one corner of the building, um, that's evidence of non-uniform heating of the corners, right? And and in order for something to collapse, uh, you know, straight down, uh, the people who think that that steel, when it gets, you know, a little bit wobbly as the temperatures go up, oh, sure, that could have caused it to collapse down. Um, those people, um, they, they what they need is for the heating to have happened at an extraordinarily even, you know, uh, exactly the same in all the corners in order for that to happen. Well, what we seem to have here is a combination of thermite and high energy explosives. Before we showed you the uh, sequences of explosions, <clears throat> which are very even. In this case, um, we have uh, evidence of liquid molten iron or steel pouring out of the south corner. Uh, this is not, in my estimation, uh, a component of a cutter charge uh, going off uh, prematurely, or maybe it is, uh, maybe it's premature. We don't have, uh, we don't, 
it seems to be an aberration. Maybe it went off early. Uh, we don't know what's going on here, frankly. We just know that it, it cannot be accounted for in the official narrative. Make sense? <clears throat> so we look and we see uh, clearly molten iron or molten, molten steel. It can't be lead. It can't be aluminum because those do not glow bright yellow in daylight conditions. So we, we, there's also something else we look for, though, if thermite were used, a whitish cloud of aluminum oxide ash, like we see rising out of the top of this material, uh, which is pouring out of the South Tower, like we see trailing this freely flying structural steel section out of the North Tower heading toward Building 7. Well, what else could explain the trailing thick white smoke cloud. <laughs> Look at your cat. Um, <clears throat> we have um, steel is not flammable in normal office fire conditions. It's not like wood. You, you don't set it on fire. It, it takes a blast furnace to, to get it to melt. And even then it's not on fire. So the ends of these beams apparently uh, or columns uh, suffered uh, some sort of ignition that can only be done at temperatures exceeding three to four thousand degrees uh so that's again what we see uh molten iron excuse me molten solid steel objects trailing thick white smoke clouds again like the volcanic eruption with lava on the right so some very interesting but now if that's evidence of thermite which if you look at the totality of the evidence that we present in our webinar, uh, you'll see or, or be convinced of. Uh, we, we then look at the dust itself surrounding the World Trade Center skyscraper and three square mile area. And the USGS, US Geological Survey, does an, a particle atlas where they do deep, detailed research into what is the dust composed of in 2006. And they find that 30% um, of some of these dust, excuse me, 6% uh, of some of these dust samples, and but all of them have these previously molten iron microspheres, about the diameter of a human hair on average. Well, this is curious at best. Again, we haven't used molten iron in our skyscrapers for 100 years. So where do these come from? Uh, they are, do compose up to 6% of the samples, uh, up to four tons altogether by extrapolation, uh, the weight uh, or, or volume, I forget which it is. Um, they, and R.J. Lee, an, an environmental consulting group, also does analysis on the dust. They find that, that these iron spheres are composed, are, are uh, manifested during the event, uh, they're melted during the event. Uh, so not before by the iron, the welders putting the building together, not afterward by the iron workers taking the building apart, but during the event. Well, how? what's a possible way that that can happen? Let's look at thermite in a controlled experiment where we see looks like thousands of sparks, but they're spherical melted iron particles and they fall into the pan. Uh, 
Could that, by the way, be what's responsible for the toasting of the tops of these cars uh, surrounding the World Trade Center in this very high heat event? What else could explain this? How far away are those cars? They're close. Uh, they, they, in, in this case, I believe they were all towed to this location, but they were much closer around the streets of, of the World Trade Center. Was there anyone who, who wasn't well evacuated who, who might have gotten caught at that distance? Huh? Was, was there anyone who might have been found dead in, in that area? Oh, um, you mean who did not jump out of the building? Right. Because a lot of people did that, about 300, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know the answer to that question. That's a great question, and I don't have the data. Um, so what else was found in the World Trade Center dust? If, if there's uh, evidence of, uh, of ignited thermite, in the previously molten iron microspheres, is there evidence of unignited thermite? Well, this got the attention of a team of eight international scientists uh, led by Niels Harrod in Copenhagen, and they analyze and peer review four of their seven studies. They find in each case, all seven actually, these curious red-gray chips, about a sixteenth of an inch large, uh, they're, they look like paint, right? They're, they're dual layered. In fact, red on one side, gray on the other. Uh, they find through, uh, a study of the red layer that it has aluminum and iron in it, iron oxide, iron oxide and aluminum are the ingredients of thermite. Thermite, by the way, is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. It does that because ignited at a very high temperature, uh, the iron, the oxygen from the iron moves to the aluminum, uh, producing uh, molten iron and aluminum oxide ash. So they get real curious now. Uh, and by the way, these chips were attracted by a magnet. So they're very high iron content, which prompted them to do the X-ray energy dispersive spectroscopy study we just talked about the results of. And so they get even more curious, zoom in 50,000 times with an electron microscope. And what do they find? Nano-sized particles of iron oxide uh, in rhomboidal-shaped cubes and flat aluminum platelets, a nanoscale, a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. Uh, this is very sophisticated material. It's set in an oxygen, excuse me, an organic uh, bed of oxygen, silica, carbon. Organic material is what uh, is used in TNT, high energy explosives, to expand rapidly and knock things over. So this is curious. You have an incendiary that apparently is being engineered to become uh, more explosive. In fact, at about 750 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, th the peer-reviewed literature shows that this material, which was 
reviewed prior to 9-11 in, in the literature by Los Alamos Lab, et cetera, Lawrence Livermore, um, it, it ignites at 758 degrees Fahrenheit, producing what? Um, well, we'll see, but the, these chips also ignite at the same temperature, indicating they're active uh, thermitic materials, exothermic reaction. What do they produce when they ignite? They produce molten iron microspheres with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres produced in the World Trade Center dust. So you see, this is a self-corroborating set of repeatable experimental data that can be used to bring the real perpetrators of 9-11 to court for justice and accountability. So that's exactly what we're doing. We're bringing 60 exhibits to the attention of the grand jury, having been submitted as a petition for a grand jury investigation to the U.S. attorney in Manhattan. And we are suing all the way to the top until we get justice. And there's an exciting announcement about that forthcoming. But what we, we don't, as if we didn't know where those spheres came from, they are found attached to partially ignited red gray chips, as you see here and here. So it's not a mystery. This is made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories, who, by using nanotechnology, due to the extremely small particles of iron oxide and aluminum powder, the surface area increases exponentially. So the chemical reaction is instantaneous, producing more explosive material. It's not made in a cave in Afghanistan. It's made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories. So the peer-reviewed paper in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal documents that this is active, unreacted thermitic material in the World Trade Center dust, incorporating nan nanotechnology, <clears throat> highly energetic, pyrotechnic, or explosive material. It's, it's both, actually. So there's, did the investigation of NIST find any of these chips? No, we saw that they didn't even look for it, much less find it. So it's not a real investigation. And yet we have all 10 key characteristic and some very uncharacteristic features of controlled demolition, none of which can be attributed to fire, let alone all of them, all of that evidence. With additional circumstantial corroborative evidence, uh, this is clearly proof of controlled demolition, a body of proof that seems uh, irrefutable to 3,500 architects and engineers. But do we even go deeper? Do we find out if there are direct parallels between 9-11 and COVID? Well, when events are planned, we know about it in advance. We already saw some foreknowledge in the case of 9-11. Guess what? There's a lot more. NORAD practiced 28 hijacking exercise events within two years of 9-11. It's incredible. They even included a hijacked airliner meant to crash into a building in New York City. 
how many if you went back five or ten years so that's a that's 14 a year that's more than one a month what if you went back five years ten years before well, that half of them were actually happening on the day of 9-11 coincidentally so did that didn't answer your question it, it didn't but i i do recall that there were exercises going on but you're saying that like 14 ish of 41 um, altogether an incredible and designed to put false blips on the screens of the radar techs from NORAD, confusing them about what's real world and what's exercise. They make such comments. They're recorded. Look how many are on 9-11 and through 9-11. They were confused. And that was the purpose. Some of them took jets uh, to Canada, uh, all, most of the jets from the Eastern Corridor up to Canada and Alaska on an exercise so they wouldn't be available uh, for to defend the skies that were left vulnerable over Washington and New York. Some of them had Osama bin Laden on the cover. One of them had a new, uh, the North Tower in the target. Was this a Tuesday? The cover. Was, huh? was 9-11 a Tuesday? Yeah. Seems like a strange day to be ending you know, multi-day drills on that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. To the ones that said through nine 11, I'd yeah. be curious to see if there's like, you know, historical, you know, documentation of, of like, you know, what days those start and end on. That would be an interesting experiment. It gets more interesting because tripod two was an exercise, a biochemical attack drill with hundreds of FEMA, New York police department, fire department, FBI, military personnel already in New York the day before 9-11 for this biochemical attack in this big building on Pier 92 near the World Trade Center. It, it's incredible. Giuliani says on the next day, September 12th, there was going to be a drill. It had hundreds of people here from FEMA. They were already there before the, the 11th, as you hear from this witness. Rescue worker with the National Urban Search and Rescue. It's part of FEMA, the Federal Disaster Relief Agency. So Tom Kennedy, Kennedy from the Urban Search and Rescue team. But to be honest with you, uh, we arrived on uh, late Monday night and went into action on Tuesday morning. What's he talking about? Thank you for being honest, Tom. He's talking about the entire uh, emergency operation got taken over from World Trade Center 7 because it collapsed. These guys were ready to take over the entire emergency uh, on the morning of 9-11. Uh, so uh, that's uh, an uncanny uh, level of uh, capability to respond quickly, to say the least. Bush, Cheney, and staff, as part of that exercise, perhaps, were put on Cipro. This is a dangerous drug. It's an antidote to anthrax. So here we're anticipating the anthrax attacks that didn't happen for a couple of weeks later. In fact, this is documented by his doctor, Bush's doctor. I gave everyone on the plane a week of Cipro. He said, in, in case it's anthrax. Well, it was a biochemical attack drill. Was it, were they anticipating anthrax uh, seriously enough to give a, a fairly dangerous drug? I know because 
my wife was given Cipro and she had severe uh, reactions uh, to it, as many Americans do. So they wouldn't have done that casually um, or as just as part of a, a drill. Uh, so were there drills associated with uh, COVID? Uh, the, the recent um, uh, set of emergencies uh, that we've had in the last couple of years. Well, Event 201, a tabletop exercise at Johns Hopkins, anticipated a coronavirus nearly identical to the outbreak that occurred three months later. Now, this was a big deal. They actually put out a lot of publicity. We could have a pandemic sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum. It was a, a very big deal. And in fact, they anticipated not only the coronavirus, but the fact that there would be a vaccine that would be ready and the resistance from the public and from aware doctors resistance to the vaccine and how to overcome that resistance, which they call disinformation and sought to overcome. And right before it started, they switched the script from influenza to coronavirus. That happened right before the event. The original scripts were influenza. I don't know how many people know that. Yeah. The script for event 201. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought it actually had to do with, with, uh, a coronavirus, but anyway, you're saying it was influenza. Well, no, it, it it did take place as a coronavirus, oh. but originally the script they had to go through and change all the references to it from influenza to coronavirus before the outbreak happened. Or, in, or before in, event two hundred one took place, right oh. before they went, like a week before they um, people working with oh, the scripts. Oh. Yeah, I don't know if if you'd heard that before. Oh, I see. No, no. So originally. Uh, before the tabletop exercise, they had they were going to do an influenza pandemic, and That's the right. script itself changes immediately before event 201 to right. a coronavirus, which is exactly what happens three months later. Uh, Fauci also says there will be a su surprise outbreak. We're talking about foreknowledge here, right? Wait a minute. During the next administration, there will be a surprise outbreak? Would you say that? Surprise. Surprise outbreak. Pandemic uh, preparedness. And if there's one message that I want to leave with you today, there is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases. How do you know unless you're planning it? How about over on the 9-11 side? Was there inside trading? Stock put options placed, uh, risking everything, betting the value of the, of, the, of the airliners would go down the next day on 9-11. And in fact, um, the, the uh, foreknowledge uh, is proven here by those, those bets. And the 9-11 the Commission investigated this and they found that the, the bets did not go to Osama bin Laden. They didn't, couldn't trace it to, so they, they said it was not insider trading. What? Well, who did it go to? It went to, uh, it, they followed it to, to the Deutsche Bank and uh, run by Buzzy Krongard, uh, former CIA director or subdirector. Uh, but they considered it unconsequential. Uh, so 
Uh, this is uh, direct evidence of uh, of foreknowledge here. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know how much I've, I've told my audience about my my Wall Street career. The second hedge fund that I went to work for is the world's largest option trading firm, Susquehanna International Group. And uh, I left there because I, I realized that I could um, do better on my own than, than, than I was getting paid after a year on the job. But um, it, it, the, the exact way, the ways that I found to make money were to pay attention to um, to things like increased volume or or volume weighted on one side, when you see the total volume of the puts and the fact that the, you know, it was buyers, you know, people were, it was people going long, right? The, the market makers in the pit, they were having to, to sell. And in fact, they were probably going beyond the market makers. I, I don't know this for sure, but they were probably going to, um, you know, investment bankers uh, to have them write puts. Uh, in larger quantity than possibly a floor could handle. But the, the quantity was so large. If I saw that, I would think, oh, I, I know exactly what bet to make. Not even like maybe. I would think 100%. Like today is uh, going to be gravy. No question uh, about it. So you can make money too. <laughs> that's that's what I've done for a living. That's how I made <laughs> most of my money. Wow. Um, so we also have this parallel called false official accounts but we've now proven there's it's a myth that 19 fundamentalist hijackers uh took these planes and brought the towers down um that 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 jet fuel and and the broken columns from the airplanes knocked down the towers uh, that fire caused uh, building seven to come down <clears throat> that the pentagon was penetrated by hani Hanjur, uh who failed cessna flying school but somehow uh, operated a, an airliner in a maneuver that most jet fighters uh, would have uh, a challenge with. So, uh, and, and hit where? Uh, the, not straight down into the Donald Rumsfeld's office, which would be the obvious uh, target and easier to hit from the roof, uh, but uh, doing a, a 270 degree spiral around um, and, and then heading straight into the uh, uh, the the office of the auditors uh, who were looking for the two point three trillion dollars that Donald Rumsfeld had announced the day before nine eleven had been missing from the Pentagon budget. Those are the people who got killed in in uh, the Pentagon attack. So. Yeah, look look deeper into into that. Uh, I, I encourage you. We also have a false official accounts with regard to COVID. We all know now that this coronavirus didn't migrate from bats. Even Ted uh, Tedros um, <clears throat> of the World Health Organization <clears throat> uh, it, it privately admits that the that it didn't come from bats. Even the chairman of the Lancet COVID-19 Commission, looking for where the origin of this virus came from, Jeffrey Sachs, uh, it admits that uh, this is not uh, uh, a natural origin, but uh, was created in a lab, and it created quite a stir, as you can imagine, in the lead medical journal uh, in the country, the Lancet. He says, I'm pretty convinced that it came out of a U.S. biotechnology lab, not out of nature. So um, we also have official accounts that are false uh, with 
exaggerated death rates. A million Americans have died. Um, and, and how do they achieve those? We'll talk about that. That you have to wear masks uh, to flatten the curve. Uh, another myth. Uh, masks have been proven not to work. Even Fauci acknowledged that earlier on. Uh, vaccines uh, provide better immunity than natural immunity. Uh, again, we'll look at, at the falsity of that and that they're safe and effective. These are all myths that have been created and promulgated as propaganda by the media. And so we've got on the 9-11 on side, the, an elusive, powerful enemy, the next parallel, uh, which um, Kevin Ryan has documented these parallels very, very well uh, in, in, a, in a short uh, presentation a couple of years ago now that uh, we've just expanded on it. And, and thank you, Kevin, for doing an incredible job on this. The myth that hidden terrorists throughout the U.S. could do massive damage with weapons of mass destruction at any time. The myth of Osama bin Laden at large in a cave in Afghanistan. Uh, doing all of this deadly destruction upon the U.S., the myth of deadly lethal anthrax hidden in letter attacks uh, that um, happened on, were mailed or received on September 16th, 2001, uh, via Muslim terrorists. Well, it turns out that's a that's a, a myth uh, destroyed by the fact that uh, this particular strain of anthrax was produced. Uh, in the U.S. in a military lab, which the FBI ultimately admitted and 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 dropped their case against Bruce Ivins, who was uh, suicided or committed suicide um, relentlessly uh, uh, after having been relentlessly abused so, by the FBI. Uh, huh? After after the plane attacks, what would be the need to throw in these additional anthrax attacks? Uh, it turns out that uh, the target of the anthrax attacks was uh, Congressman Leahy and Daschle, uh, or senators. Um, they were holding up the Patriot Act, which uh, was submitted to, uh, for legislation days, or, or was it weeks, after 9-11. Right. Uh, There's that piece. It's threatening of the people who might, you know, stop the legislation that they want passed. But I want to throw out a second piece just because of what we've seen during the pandemic, which is if you need to justify tens of billions of dollars in these in this biolab, you know, spending that the NIH does, you know, sort of as a as a as an arm of the DOD, really, you know, uh, as a proxy arm of the DOD, um, then such an attack justifies uh, a lot of spending, and it might even be spending that doesn't even really take place, just money laundering. Yeah, well, that's a that's a very good point because um, there, I I I got to look deeper into that one too. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you, because um, we have the same problem with regard to COVID. Right, the virus is so small it can't be seen. It can come at you. Uh, this elusive, powerful enemy, any person or surface that you touch. I found myself afraid to touch an ATM machine uh, because I didn't have gloves on. Uh, you know, it, it's like it's fear builds up inside of you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this, 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 is, this is how we manipulate a population with this elusive, powerful enemy. 
it, 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 you have to wear a mask to keep it away from you. And yet uh, that's a myth, as, as we'll see. You have to trust the vaccine uh, because otherwise this elusive powerful enemy can get you. It's uh, your own immune system is insufficient to deal with it. Another myth, by the way. Um, and so, uh, which has been proven in, in a couple of years uh, uh, since now, people are waking up to this en masse. It's, it's very exciting. So we want people to be waking up to the parallels because in 9-11, we also have a, a parallel called creating a climate of fear and division. We have fear-based media propaganda about Muslim terrorists 24-7 following the 9-11 uh, uh, with these uh, color-coded uh, scare meters where you should be really scared and look out, look what your neighbors are doing because they might be Islamic terrorists uh, or, or, or whatever. Uh, so we, uh, on the, uh, and um, we find, and, and there's these terror events to, that the FBI manufactured and having infiltrated uh, uh, loosely affiliated Muslim organizations, mostly uh, deranged, drug-induced uh, lunatics who are uh, encouraged to, to start uh, a jihad and, and, and blow up something. So the FBI having an informants therein uh, uh, brings them to justice uh, after starting the whole thing. Uh, so we have a same thing going on, similar thing going on with COVID. Uh, alarmist predictions of mass deaths. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people could die. Overcrowded hospitals, crises, not enough respirators, uh, even mass graves. Uh, this fear is incredible uh, through the COVID cases and the death numbers um, exaggerated, which we'll get into here. Yeah, not uh, to mention the New York link. Uh, right, it was it was New York where we saw the bulldozer, you know, uh, starting to create the mass grave, and where the the ship was brought in the hospital ship, right? I didn't see that. Right. They they had a bulldozer on the media for mass graves. Yeah, in, in New York, um, it, when uh, there was so much uh, death, especially in the nursing homes, there, um, they showed images on the news of like you know a bulldozer like pushing dirt, like they were like they were making the mass graves right then. Oh my God. And they never were, of course. Oh, wow. Uh, they, they just, it's just a part of that fear uh, propaganda. They also uh, have the, the, the myth out there, asymptomatic people can become super spreaders. You can kill your own family members. Grandma, so don't go visit her. You know, a pandemic, uh, Biden says, of the unvaccinated. This fear is, is, is incredible. And the CDC, uh, with extreme control of information by governmental agencies and international corporations, the CDC, the WHO, uh, NIAID, NIH, uh, Pfizer, Gates, Fauci, controlling the propaganda. It's come from coming from uh, these central sources. The White House National Security Council was in control of Event 201 three months earlier. So this is an intelligence agency operation. Bill Gates uh, grants to the international media $319 million to help dispel disinformation and promote the official narrative. 
you might call this advertising because of course he personally benefits uh, from the vaccines. Uh, and this is on top of a billion dollars pushed through a bill in Congress. Um, so much money was showered on the media. And, and boy, did they put it out there. Uh, is this a conflict of interest? I mean, we, we, uh, we got to ask ourselves, um, he's, he's paying the media to push his vaccines. NIAID Fauci originally praises the immune system. Take a look. If she really has the flu, she definitely doesn't need a flu vaccine. If she really has the flu. She right. should not get it again. No, she doesn't need it because the, it, it's, the be, it's the most potent vaccination is getting infected yourself. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> the human immune system does work and it's more effective than the influenza vaccine? Well, let's go further. Neil Ferguson's computer modeling catastrophic projections proved wrong. The simulations driving the world's response to COVID-19. How epidemiologists rushed to model the corona pandemic. Ferguson is one of the highest profile faces in the effort to use mathematical models that predict the spread of the virus. The research does not get much more policy relevant than this. So this gentleman's computers drove the policy, fearing a half a million deaths if the government doesn't take immediate action. Prime Minister Boris Johnson almost immediately after this paper had announced stringent new restrictions on people's movements. This all came out of a computer, just like NIST's uh, material came out. It, it was a computer model designed what? to model the flu. That's one thing. And, and notice that you don't see any bands around like right like uh, in order to produce a model like this uh, you should have like you know tolerance levels um you should have bands and, and there's so many there are several variables involved and those bands should be large enough that those shouldn't be curves they should be blobs essentially like they, they, this this modeling is total nonsense from beginning to end but even worse ferguson had put out these types of models several times before making numerous false predictions from other outbreaks that turned out to be nonsense, like like something like six or eight times. The idea that that he would be looked to like an expert for, for policy at this moment was total nonsense. His entire past was filled with false predictions. Mm. And it's incredible because uh, it's it's been exposed. Uh, it's far worse than we knew. Uh, Ferguson predicted catastrophic death tolls in March of 2020, unless governments around the world adopted his preferred suite of non-pharmaceutical interventions to ward off the pandemic. These are lockdowns, et cetera. So the, this is used to justify lockdowns, uh, and it failed its first real-world test. There's an extreme disparity between the projections and reality. Uh, so it, it's been exposed. Now we have the same thing, the abuse of science like this uh, uh, with regard to 9-11, where the NIST rep, uh, computer models for both the Twin Towers and Building 7 were completely uh, uh, one-sided uh, to, to show that the building uh, could come down exactly as the videos showed, when in fact uh, those who've challenged these computer models with computer models of their own, like the World Trade Center, uh, uh, building seven study by 
uh, Leroy Halsey, uh, professor at, at the University of Alaska, did a three-year, $400,000 study, a four-year, $300,000 study uh, on Building 7, showing that it couldn't have come down by fire at all. Uh, if, it, if it did, it would have tipped over, uh, but that's only when they manipulated three columns and forced them to fail. So we also have um, hundreds of eyewitnesses of explosions, which were omitted. That evidence, extreme temperatures of molten iron, billions of molten iron, uh, microspheres and chips of nanothermite, all scientific evidence completely uh, overlooked, if you will, uh, to put it politely. Uh, in this fraudulent report, to put it in realistic terms, by NIST. On the COVID side, we have the ignoring of established science of natural immunity of the body and uh, a population or herd immunity. We have uh, a two-year safe safety efficacy studies that weren't completed, uh, though they were promised. 20,000 placebo recipients were given the vaccination, eliminating the control group. This is complete abuse of science. In fact, uh, it's documented in the Medical Express. Vaccine trial uh, participants who received the placebo now hop the line for the real thing from Pfizer. So now you, can, you don't have any kind of scientific study. And the abuse of science, we have manipulation of disease statistics and death certificates by stat statisticians. COVID deaths equals any death accompanied with a positive test Result, what? Listen to the health department director of the state of Illinois. I just want to be clear in terms of the definition of people dying of COVID. So the case definition is, is very simplistic. It means at the time of death, um, it was a COVID positive diagnosis. So that means that if you were in hospice and had already been given you know, a few weeks to live, and then you also were found to have COVID, that would be counted as a COVID death. It means that if, um, it technically, if even if you died of a clear alternate cause, but you had COVID at the same time, it's still listed as a COVID death. So um, everyone who's listed as a COVID death doesn't mean that that was the cause of the death, but they had COVID at the time of death. I hope that's helpful. Why? Yeah, it's very helpful to be honest about that, isn't it? Why would they do that? They're trying to increase the rate of, 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 of deaths. And, and they're also trying to increase the rate of positive tests, apparently, with the PCR test, uh, which is a complete abuse of science. Cases continue to mount from false positives, as documented in the... Uh, uh, in this. And, and this is something I've done some work on myself. Um, there, there, there's so much that's interesting that surrounds false positives. A lot of people don't know that false positive rates go up and down dramatically with infection rates. So they change throughout the year. And uh, Dr. James Lyons Weiler just put out an article um, that that hits a number that was very close to my estimate. He said 40, like 46 or 48 um, percent of tests were likely false positives which fits, by the way, and this is a project that you're going to want to know about, Richard. Uh, a friend of mine, John Bodwin, uh, sued for all the death certificates in Massachusetts. Oh. First, first project of its kind. And they had to walk back 4,000 COVID deaths because there weren't even six, there weren't even 20,000 death certificates that said COVID on it. But then you get to 16 and he went through them by hand and said about half of them which would justify the James Lyons Weiler number, which is a number that was very close to my own. Um, he, he said about half of them are with COVID, not, 
you know, due to COVID, you can just see, you know, blunt force trauma to the head, things like, you know, a lot of it's obvious, right? So um, anyhow, um, sorry to, to interrupt you, but uh, uh, this was a, a place that my audience is going to know a lot about this, <laughs> this false testing. Yeah, this is very important. And Dr. Madhavacetti is one of the incredible uh, writers who has exposed uh, so much of this. And I know that you know him. In fact, uh, thank you, Madhava, for bringing Matthew and I together so that we could um, get this information about the parallels. Uh, Matthew's audience, as he mentioned, already being familiar with some of the abuses, like the PCR tests, uh, there, who's the, the the inventor of the test, Carrie Mullis, says they're not to be used for the diagnosing of disease. What? With PCR, he says you can, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. You want to add to that, Matthew? Yeah. Um, so my, my wife actually designs PCR assays. Uh, she's a biochemist. And, um, and you do have, uh, especially when you're out of laboratory conditions, you know, there's so many things that can, that can get into a sample and eventually you ramp up the cycles high enough and you just, you know, you, you have a mistake or you have uh, an off target amplicon that winds up being ramped up and says, Hey, we found what we're looking for. Right. And so, you know, it, it, and that's just one of, of numerous ways, right. Um, there's also this issue that coronavirus is not one genetic sequence. It's this cloud and it could even be like numerous lineages right, with different genetic sequences, when you test for, you know, nucleocapsid, when you test for S protein, when you test for E protein, um, you, you might be actually finding fragments from three different viruses, mm. right? Like th there's so many like things influenza, wrong. for instance, very possibly. And, and it took the CDC and the FDA, they put a hold on PCR for two full months in 2020. This is actually what made me just, you know, flip my shit and it, pardon, um, and, and, and start, you know, researching a lot of this was, you know, I, I took a walk and, you know, talking with my wife about this, I was like, you know, tell me, tell me this isn't the nonsense that I think it is, but, um, yeah, two months and, and that, that two months when they didn't allow other people to design their and, and apply their tests, that's, that's two months that you could possibly design tests that, um, that intentionally pick up whatever it is you want to surveil right? If you, if you want to be real clever statistically, you could fit the puzzle together huh. to look for something that you know is there. It could even be, um, and, and there's a theory that there is a, an aberrant influenza strain out there, which could explain why it was um, negative to all surveillance for two years, right? There's a number of things that could have happened, but this is exactly what goes wrong. You create the possibility for deception when you allow a proxy test like this. It's not that PCR is useless. You could use it for good surveillance purposes, but to act like it's a diagnostic test, that's nonsense. It, it invites so much, you know, so much manipulation. Well, that's what the public believes is is that these are diagnostic tests, and and if they get a uh, uh, if they get a positive, you know they they should quarantine themselves. When kiwi fruits and bananas have been tested positive, and and, and many other uh, objects uh, like that. <clears throat> so the, there's these fact checkers uh, also uh, that who are they funded by? By the way, when they fact check disinformation or conspiracy theories they're pro they're funded by those people who are profiting from the vaccines like the gates foundation who funds uh 
the, these uh, facts checkers, fact checkers. Uh, we have cheap, effective COVID medical treatments uh, that are that work, like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, previously approved by the CDC. But all of a sudden, they're banned, uh, and 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 they're shown to to be effective. But the Wall Street Journal publishes studies that were manipulated uh, and saying that they didn't reduce uh, hospitalizations. Uh, do you want to uh, add to this? Because you, you've done some work here, too, uh, citing a flawed unpublished study uh, is what the defenders exposed this, uh, concluding that ivermectin uh, didn't uh, reduce uh, COVID-19 hospitalizations, they, uh, tanking a key systematic review showing how ivermectin could have saved millions of lives uh, early on because uh, right. the Wall Street Journal misled them. Yeah. And there was a lot of evidence out there that people didn't even go to collect. Um, I have a video from uh, a doctor in um, in Brazil who went and gave an entire neighborhood ivermectin, 3000 oh. people. Uh, okay. And this was when this was when, um, you know, Sao Paulo was just overwhelmed with covid cases. Not one of the 3000 people in those in that neighborhood came down with covid. And as far as I know, no one's ever even gone and asked uh, his name's uh, Dr. Prado. I think it's P-R-A-D-O, -P -R and, and somebody may be able to find that video out there. I've got it in my notes somewhere. But yeah, there's all kinds of evidence that people didn't even go out and collect. Um, I focused most of my research. I read over 300 of the hydroxychloroquine studies. So that's what I know really, really well. And three quarters of them were positive, not necessarily statistically significant. But when you look at the ones that weren't positive, almost every single one of them was a late treatment study. You don't test an antiviral after it's incubated, after it's reached viral peak and it's going down. It's total nonsense. You know, these the WHO tests, the hospital tests, um, they were the wrong dose. They were monotherapy, not in conjunction with things that would help pneumonia, like your antibiotics, you know, um, and, and they were given late, you know, uh, in every possible way, they were the worst possible test. So yeah, um, it, it, it's not even contra, it, it shouldn't even be you know, controversial to say that um, the bad, the, the negative tests were mostly nonsense and almost everything else is, is completely positive. Wow. <clears throat> and the New York Times got into it too. <clears throat> so what's happened to our mainstream media? I, I mean, uh, what's proven is that, uh, uh, that, that, that ivermectin did work uh, in, in this study. Uh, as demonstrated in, in nearly every subgroup, the ivermectin recipients. I, I apologize. Better. I apologize. Can you go back one more slide? Because this this is an interesting story that um, I, I know that you love to put things in order that, you, that you're really meticulous with your dates. Um, that guy right there, David Bulware, he announced his first study. He did three. Um, uh, his first study on hydroxychloroquine, he announced it on March 17, 2020. The press, if you look, if you do a Google range search, you do not see the press ever mention hydroxychloroquine until after Trump spoke about it on March 19th. And that that's despite the fact that between SARS-1 and SARS-2, there were like eight different studies showing that that uh, that chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine um, was a likely inhibitor of viral replication. Um <clears throat> so the, those dates are interesting. He announced a study. It was on the University of Minnesota website, March 17th. Not one person in the media said, oh, well, that's interesting. Not one person covered it until the day after Trump spoke, when they all already knew somehow that it was snake poison. Snake poison. 
Uh, sorry, snake oil. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, okay, snake. Because <laughs> that gets into another area which we're not going to get into today. But ivermectin does work, as as documented here. It fared better than those who received the placebo. But the the study said it did just the opposite. You can see most of the black dots are on the left side of the divider line, indicating um, a very positive result. <clears throat> and then we have uh, uh, very positive results, far more positive for hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin uh, than uh, the other uh, competing uh, alternatives. Uh, uh, 88, eight, uh, excuse me, out of 347 studies, uh, for hydroxychloroquine, we've got um, uh, with 400 with half a million uh, uh, participants with showing 63% uh, overall effectiveness for, for both of these drugs. So, something else is happening here, right? The reason we're pointing out this data is to show that there's been manipulation of, of the science here. Uh, this is it's bigger now. Uh, it's very clear uh, that these are effective alternatives. And why did they have to suppress it? Uh, because of the emergency use, use authorization for the, in, the vaccines, which we'll get into. Uh, the COVID-19 Lancet retracts the paper that halted the hydroxychloroquine uh, trials. They finally ultimately had to withdraw the criticism at least of uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine in this case. Uh, so, in, in, you know, we're talking about a, also a response in these parallels that it's far more harmful than the original problem. We killed 2 mil million Muslims. 7,000 U.S. soldiers died in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, with 30,000 taking their own lives since 9-11. There's a $6.5 trillion global war on terror. Who's benefiting from that? But the point is that this response is far worse than the original problem of, of terrorism, uh, which wasn't the original problem. It was a manufactured problem. If you begin to look at all the terrorist attacks, you find that they're uh, instigated by intelligence agencies, foreign and domestic. Uh, we've drained the U.S. Treasury. And, and COVID continued the process, of course, uh, with these uh, infrastructure and, and COVID uh, bailout bills um, uh, of a total of $2 trillion for the both of them. But in the case of 9-11, we have uh, the invasions of Iraq, Afghanistan, the global war on terror, the loss of our civil liberties, torture is, is now uh, instituted uh, Homeland Security is developed, putting one intelligence agency over all the others. Uh, and that um, is a prescription for manipulation uh, in addition to whatever advantages that it, it, it also has. Uh, emerging police state uh, where we're being surveilled, our phone calls, our texts, our emails are all being systematically, illegally, unconstitutionally uh, swiped up and put in a database. How do we allow this? Because of the fear, because of the emergencies that we're told we're, we're um, uh, having to respond to in this drastic way. Well, same with COVID. We have masks uh, requirements, uh, which are pr proven to be 
not only unhealthy, but ineffective, uh, ineffective, but unhealthy also. Lockdowns, which cause personal and economic destruction uh, on a massive scale. Uh, tens of millions of people have put out of work, uh, staggering cost of unemployment, the destruction of our economy, which were not recovered from, as you can see by looking yeah, around. Worldwide, my understanding is, um, and this this is like a year and a half ago, I wrote about this, uh, or a year ago, uh, 500 million people thrust into poverty. And and what people don't know necessarily about that is for, um, for every person below the poverty line worldwide, um, I, I think there's a, like a 5% increase in the mortality rate. So when you have 500 million people below, you're talking about potentially 25 million deaths a year additionally, simply because of the state of poverty that they exist in. Um, you know, already the number of people who, who have, you know, died of poverty or poverty conditions uh, during the pandemic is probably substantially larger than all of the people who might or might not have died of COVID-19. Mm. It's, it's just absolutely devastating. And why? I mean, is, again, we have to ask ourselves, Matthew, is that the intended outcome? Because that's the path they took as a result of planning this event, uh, which we saw was planned, the vaccines also proved to be far more dangerous than COVID ever was. In fact, there's 29,000 reports of deaths after COVID vaccine. This is on VAERS, the CDC-sponsored or approved, you can help me understand that, website uh, cites... Um, 31,000 deaths now. We'll, we'll, we'll actually get into that. Let me come back to that point. Um, is there a real investigation? No. The 9-11 Commission was delayed uh, by Bush and Cheney for a year. The families forced them to have it. They, did, they fought it. And when the commission was formed, the, the families were so concerned that nobody's doing their job trying to get to the bottom of of these events that they developed uh, hundreds of questions for specific people and only 75% of them were, were even asked. The commission report was not written by the commissioners. It was written by Philip Zelikow, a Bush insider who developed his PhD on the creation of public myth. You can't even make this stuff up. So regarding COVID, again, on the VAERS website, uh, we have 29,000 now, 31,000 deaths. There's a problem, though. <laughs> Most of the deaths and injuries don't make it to the website, don't make it into the system, are not reported by the doctors who are prescribing or giving the vaccines because they don't want to be responsible for adverse reactions. Well, a long time ago, in 2007, uh, the, the, the CDC hired uh, Lazarus, uh, et cetera, to find out how many people actually report adverse deaths. What's the effectiveness of the reporting system itself? They found that fewer than 1% of these adverse events are even reported. Wait a minute. So 
in this case, 29,000 vaccine deaths reported. Um, you, let's just, the, the number's got to be much higher. The, 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 the U.S. Uh, Health Human Service sponsored study suggests it's 10 to 99% underreported, but other studies are more conservative at 40%. So let's say it's 40%. That means there's over a, a million deaths from the vaccine. Minimum. Uh, wait a minute. Um, uh, forty percent. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a two and a half multiplier? One over forty percent. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you. Um, the so a couple of things about this. I've worked. So where, on, you, uh, where would we end up if that were true? What, what are you saying? It'd be even more than a million deaths. No, no, no. It would be like you'd you'd multiply two and a half times twenty nine thousand. Um, but I'm I'm going to back up for a second because I've I've done a lot of VAERS work uh, with um, Steve Kirsch and Jessica Rose, yeah. and uh, not all of those twenty nine thousand are domestic deaths. Some of those are actually foreign reports. Uh huh. Um. So there, there's there's multiple things involved. Um, now, I know that um, uh, Steve and Jessica have gotten under reporting factor numbers um, in the ballpark of like 30 something to 40 something. However, um, it, it, it's a little bit tough because for each type of adverse event, you wind up with different under reporting factors like, you know, um, higher under reporting factor, the lighter the adverse event. So it, it, it it's kind of a weird unknown, but we we think that it's in the ballpark of you know, 30 something to 40 something, but then it's only applied to a little more than half of those 29,000 deaths because some of them are foreign deaths that get reported and over 10,000 of them are, are non-domestic deaths. Um, but, you know, now we, we can come back to this if you want, um, you know, maybe we can have a meeting um, with them or I can, I can point you to, um, to Steve's work, um, uh, Steve and Jessica's work uh, that I helped with just a tiny little bit, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. Thank you, Matthew. What I need uh, help with is uh, fixing the math uh, on this, not doing a lot more research because I, I, I don't have the time, but I need to distill it down to a conservative number. Absolutely. And uh, if it's 1%, uh, we're, we're, we're talking 29 million deaths. Um, if it's, uh, uh, so, so uh, if it's, um, if it's 1%, 2.9 million deaths. 2.9. Thank you. But again, not all of those are domestic deaths. Like, uh, you know, it might be like 16, 17,000 are domestic deaths. So we might be, you know, uh, if it's 1%, then then we might be talking about, you know, 1.6 million or something like that. I think that the number is is a little bit lower. Um, okay. Steve and I have debated this for uh, almost a year and a half now, uh, but we've looked for methods to come up with it. But uh, I, think, I think closer to... Yeah, you know, I'd put it in the two hundred thousand to five hundred thousand range. Steve, I think thinks closer to five hundred thousand. Maybe, maybe it's just my soul doesn't want to want to believe it's that bad. But perhaps, <laughs> perhaps as much as five hundred thousand. And uh, and if you want, I can send you some uh, articles and work that we've done trying to find ways to compute that. Thank you. Um, a, a distillation of, of this number right here is what I need. So if you want to take a screenshot of that and 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 help me by fixing it. Uh, uh, th that would be really helpful. Uh, articles. Uh, I'm I'm trying to make a film. 9/11 crime scene to courtroom, and all my time's going into that uh, this month uh, and next month. So uh, I really appreciate your help with that. Uh, but we're also looking at the instances of myocarditis following uh, the vaccination, and and uh, 
we find that in the first week we have astronomical numbers. Uh, the, ca the, the causality is quite distinct, given that hundreds of cases of myocarditis occur mostly within the first month, actually the first week, uh, largely, um, uh, uh, per the CDC VAERS report. So that's extremely uh, uh, telling, too. Is it safe? No. How can it be safe if, if these numbers are revealing? Uh, reports of death following the vaccination are equally, uh, and, and in this case, certainly the first week and the first month, um, the causality is quite distinct here too, given that the deaths occur mostly within the first month per the CDC. So uh, you, you can't walk out uh, of, of these numbers uh, from the CDC database uh, themselves. And again, this is underreported, right? Comments on on these two? Yeah. Um... I, there, I have um, leaked CMS data. Uh, and right now, um, I haven't had a chance to look at it since I came back from CHD, but I know that Steve's looking at it now. And we're, we're trying to debate through, you know, ex the, the time from onset or the, the time from vaccination uh, in that data and actually compare it to, you know, it, it looks like there's also something going on with with flu vaccines as well. We're trying to, to tease out what it, what exactly it means. So um, that that's under discussion right now. But it, it's, it's also one of those things where the, the farther since day zero, the less likely someone would think to report it to VAERS, I think, mm -hmm. even though they're supposed to. And so the curve kind of represents two things going on at once. One is a temporal relationship of deaths. One is a temporal relationship of the relative underreporting factor. So these things probably compile. So it's a little bit hard, you know, to, to get a, you know, a good estimate there. But, um, you know, with, with all the other data we look at, um, at which, which some of which I'll send you. Um, and we've even seen, uh, I, I've noticed the testing numbers used to manipulate um, the amount of COVID deaths. In fact, right when the vaccines were rolled out, um, th this you should know, all across Europe, with the exception of like two or three countries, all across Europe, the case fatality rate measured on a lag deaths per COVID cases from 18 days ago. That for 18 days, exactly 18 days, that curve rose 30%. The case fatality rate went up. I think that points to new deaths that were not really based on prior cases that were likely vaccine deaths counted as COVID deaths. So the question is, do you see that in the United States? And so I did the analysis on the United States also. And you don't, but then I took a closer look and what you see is the case fatality rate go down and then come back up again, like a crater. And when you look at this crater, when you look at testing numbers, you find that right when we started vaccinating in the United States, we stopped testing as much. And the shape of the crater of the testing curve is exactly what you would want to suppress the case fatality rate going up in the U S. Mm. So it, it is, it's really suspicious. And the fact that you have it done two different ways on two different continents that look like you would have gotten the same results had you not suppressed the testing, that's pretty suspicious. Is it not also uh, suspicious that uh, the CDC is suppressing the, <clears throat> the, the fatality rate by declaring that the you're not vaccinated until 14 days after your vaccination, which is the, the period of time when this curve is greatest. Right. So the deaths and, and myocarditis. And this, is, this is a real tough question because in some places, 
um, we're being told, like when, when we email or call these services, like vaccine safety data link, um, they'll, they'll say, you know, no, we're, we're counting people's vaccinated on day zero. So there's a little bit more to the story than that. And, but, it, but we have hospital policy, like out of St. Louis, I've got a screenshot of hospital policy that says uh, not vaccinated until day 14. And so you have different data sets in different places that look like they're being counted differently. But there's there's more to it than that. And it may be, um, given how long our program is today, it may be good for you and I to have offline conversation about this. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but there are like three factors that you can apply that show like retrospective studies can get to 96% from three different factors. One of those is um, incorrectly, like um, doing no uh, risk-adjusted person days in the study which I showed in, in the Israeli data and, um, and um, e even uh, a bioinformaticist, bio um, a statistician that I disagree with very often from Pennsylvania, he agreed with me on this point that, um, that it was a one point, about a 1.9 factor um, risk factor. So, um, you know, that would take, you know, if something said, hey, it's 96% efficacy, it was probably more like 92% efficacy, give or take. Um, but then there's uh, something else called informative censoring in these studies, where they, where when they paired people together, if one of them died, they stopped looking at the other one. But those, hmm. would, be, but those would be the highest risk people in those other groups. And uh, an aeronautics professor named Mark Reeder showed that could make a saline solution look 73% uh, effective. But then there's a third factor that I've discovered recently when I was going through um, the, uh, the county level data, all the county level data in the US, which is um, it looks like there's mild efficacy of the vaccines when you look at the correlations between COVID deaths and vaccination rates. However, if you throw in one more variable onto the screen, which is uh, how median household income, that tracks perfectly with the vaccine rate. In other words, all efficacy due to the vaccine seem to be a peer to health and wealth effects. Mm. And this is a known bias, sometimes called the healthy vaccine effect or the uh, healthy user bias. And I'm working up an article on this right now. And I've and uh, in, in the, the vaccine safety data links on studies, um, you can you can actually measure what this is because they do uh, non-COVID death rates and they have for some of the demographics, if you get the vaccine, you die 70% less often from non-COVID reasons, including homicides, right? Car crashes. That makes no sense unless what you have is a, a population that behaves in a much safer way, that eats better food, that, that you know, has all the things that wealth can afford um, that creates this healthy user bias, right? If you add those three factors together, um, you know, about a 70% for that healthy user bias, 73% uh, for uh, informative censoring, and then um, the 1.9 factor uh, for risk adjustment of person days, you get approximately 96% efficacy. It's wow. wonderful. It's magical. And, it, and, really it, and, it, and it's created out of thin air. It is out of thin air. As is the, uh, the, the, the censorship. Uh, it's so easy. When you own, uh, when, when five corporations own 95% of the mainstream media, <clears throat> you can just decide not to report on stuff uh, and call them conspiracy theories, any alternative hypothesis. You, 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 you basically own uh, the the population's belief system and, and uh, program it accordingly. CNN, MSNBC, even Fox News, etc. Um, so, 
and, and, and this is not just the media, this is, um, corporations, uh, pilots or journalists and others are fired for raising concerns about the official nine 11 narrative. Um, um, it is it is really bad. Uh, journalists claim to have debunked a 9-11 truth theories, but they don't attack the scientific evidence that we've been presenting today. Uh, they attack straw man arguments. They make up stuff. Uh, when we, you know, we do get peer reviewed uh, uh, studies and and studies like the University of Alaska World Trade Center 7 report, they're ignored by the media. Well, the Lancet owns uh, is the dominant paper in the in the medical industry, and so they they're the voice, right? Um, not in media, but in academic um, uh, medical uh, arenas. We stand together. They write this letter to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID nineteen doesn't have a natural origin. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? This is very early on. This is the high, the, the, the most, te- the most uh, advanced uh, paper in the medical industry, most respected. And they're, they deal with science, not uh, conspiracy theories and propaganda. But here they stand together to denounce those uh, 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 that, that, that claim this didn't come out of a lab. But now, even as I mentioned, uh, the Who's Tedros uh, admits it. The the Lancet's own commission, led by Jeffrey Sachs, uh, says no, nah, this didn't come out of uh, a bat. It, it's it came out of a lab, uh, and so uh, it's it's pretty amazing. We have um, and enter. There's the paper in the, the, itself. Uh, so it it's it attests to what. That, that the paper itself is owned by who? Uh, those companies that uh, stand to and have made billions and billions uh, on. Yeah, and years earlier, Richard Horton, the editor-in-chief, had even admitted that uh, that the advertisers control the direction of the journal. He, he even warned the public about a decade ago. At the Lancet? Yeah. Wow. That, that's, uh, and, and who was he again? Richard Horton. And who, what t- status? Uh, he's the editor in chief of the Lancet. Yeah, of the Lancet. Still, I believe so. <laughs> That's very interesting. Uh, can you can you get me a quote for that one? That yeah, I'll send that to you as well. Very important slide here. Uh, so we have censorship on the COVID side. The social media platforms ban dissenting opinion. The social media, big tech, is is uh, in in league with why. Um, because they share a common interest in controlling the public. And we've seen their censorship across the board, not just with regard to COVID. But the media completely ignores the best-selling book on Amazon, The Real Anthony Fauci, uh, by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, it is an incredible uh, uh, level of, of censorship around this book, and yet it succeeds anyway in spite of this. Doctors are centered, censored. They're losing their licenses. They're targeted by state medical boards. Dr. Merrill Nass, Peter McCullough, Pierre Corey. These are, these are doctors who have written hundreds of peer-reviewed published papers. They've testified before the Senate, and yet they're being uh, lambasted. And uh, the, the uh, re- recent hearings in Maine by the state medical board against uh, Dr. Merrill Nass trying to take her license away uh, is 
just for prescribing yeah. medication, which she feels uh, shows has a track record. Uh, yeah, and it, it's a show trial. And 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 by the way, Peter McCullough, I believe, just had his license taken away, and that's here in Texas, and that should worry people. These mm -hmm. are state medical boards, and when fifty different state medical boards begin acting in unison, in a way that doesn't even follow what you would think of as ordinary partisan. You know, Keep going. Problems. I'll be right back. Absolutely. Um, when when the medical boards um, look uh, as if they are acting in unison, um, you know, these are politically appointed boards, right? Um, these are boards that, uh, you know, whoever you you elect uh, in your state, your governor, um, you know, chooses you know, some physicians, some people, um, you know, uh, perhaps in, in health policy can, can choose who they want. But these medical boards... Um, there, there's something very, very wrong when those medical boards begin acting in unison. And, uh, you know, Mary uh, Tally Bowden is, uh, she's down in Houston. She's here in Texas also. Brian Tyson, uh, whom, and I interviewed Mary and Brian uh, last Tuesday. Um, and they're under attacks by their medical boards. The medical boards are going after people all over the place. And, uh, and people should stop and think this through and think through, you know, whether or not it is warranted to do this for people who give a potential antiviral with a hundred billion doses of history that tells us that, that they're relatively safe, an antibiotic that could help with pneumonia, which half of all COVID deaths in the US involve pneumonia. Why not give an antibiotic? That makes no sense at all. And they give vitamins and corticosteroids where necessary. And corticosteroids at least are accepted at this point, but um, you know, most, most COVID deaths involve pneumonia and most COVID, you know, half of them involve pneumonia and most of them involve vitamin deficiency. So it's all, it's all total nonsense. Mm. And we also have an extreme control of the narrative with regard to 9-11. We have Bush uh, actually coming out, same thing as the Lancet. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. They're, they're, uh, they're, 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 they're anticipating them because they, they come out with, with, with lies in terms of uh, false narratives. Uh, so, the, so they have to come out of the gate uh, uh, blasting uh, potential <laughs> conspiracy theories in advance. It's incredible. Uh, in the lead up to the first Iraq invasion, the U.S. government hires who? A major PR firm, Hill and Knowlton, to manufacture false stories like babies being thrown out of incubators uh, by the Iraqi army, uh, now proven as completely false. It was the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador who was saying they're taking the babies and throwing uh, and and, and uh, just acting, uh, really. Uh, but it motivated a, a war. What? And some of our senators who listened to that testimony were already briefed. They already knew. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so. We... Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. Well. There he is at the UN. Yeah. And uh, so we also have domestic terrorism, racism and white supremacy and active shooter narratives are now the where the narrative shifts from uh, uh, Islamic terrorist to domestic terrorism. Uh, so we we now have this huge problem uh, that's uh, exacerbated with, again, FBI infiltrated groups uh, who who. Uh, are becoming a national problem when there are just a few spotty uh, issues here and there. 
because they have to they have to find a new threat uh, to, because it's always problem, reaction, solution. Create the problem. The public reacts, and then you have the solution in hand ready to manipulate them. Well, guess what? The World Health Organization hires the exact same PR firm, Hill and Knowlton, to help shape uh, the COVID uh, from bats narrative uh, to the greater public uh, to try to get it accepted. Uh, The World Health Organization hired uh, to fight COVID smears, uh, this PR firm. And then this tabletop exercise that we talked about, Event 201, excuse me, another tabletop exercise in March of 2021 predicts the unprecedented monkeypox outbreak. They actually predicted it. Uh, a year later to the week, the outbreak happens. And they anticipate 27 million deaths per year uh, from the monkeypox. Uh, so in March 20, 2021, the NTI... Uh, partnered uh, with uh, Munich Security Conference to conduct this tabletop exercise on reducing high-consequence biological threats. And so here's the attack predicted on May 15th and within a week. um, Well, finally, it's declared by uh, the WHO director general in July of 23rd, but the outbreak happens within a week of then. Uh, uh, We also have serious conflicts of interest. Uh, with suspicious benefits for financial insiders. Cheney's in control of Halliburton, which benefits in no-bid contracts. Chertoff, uh, the the uh, attorney general uh, and the co-author of the Patriot Act, which was passed so soon after 9-11 before legislators could even read it. Um, uh, so he, he uh, administers the justice against Muslims that are tortured in Guantanamo. Uh, setting uh, free Mossad operatives, on the other hand, uh, like the dancing Israelis. Uh, And so he's also profiting from the remote flight control systems that were developed for use prior to 9-11 that were in all likelihood used on 9-11 to control remotely these planes that uh, hit and didn't hit their targets, depending on which target. Uh, So We've got to follow the money. Uh, who, who's who's making the money here? That's how what you do. 9-11 trillions, follow the money. Uh, James Corbett, uh, an incredible documentary available on YouTube. Uh, you can watch that and get more insight. Billions profit in profits flowed to the banks, defense oil, defense companies, oil companies, and the media from the devastation in Iraq. So yeah, they're raking in the cash uh, there. Uh, uh, in in those in- industries. Uh, how did this come about? The Project for a New American Century was a think tank uh, uh, prior to 9-11, uh, and they, their goals were to establish regional hegemony in the Middle East and a vast increase in the Pentagon budget. But they exclaimed in their website, absent a catalyzing and catastrophic event like a new Pearl Harbor the process of change is likely to be a long one. And Bush wrote in his uh, diary the next day, today we had our, per- or that day or the next day, yesterday, we had a new Pearl Harbor. 
Uh, yeah, they did. Uh, look into Pearl Harbor, by the way, too. Uh, very, very important work by Robert Stinnett, uh, who, who exposed the knowledge of the pre pre-knowledge of the attack on Pearl Harbor. But these PNAC individuals were brought into the Bush administration to create policy. These are neocons, neoconservatives, uh, Zionists, uh, beholden to whom? Not you and me, not Americans. Uh, yes, further, the process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one, absent some catalyzing and catastrophic event like a new Pearl Harbor. So we also have serious conflicts of interest on the COVID side uh, with uh, those in charge of the COVID policies gaining the most, the CDC, Fauci, Gates, and control of the vaccine policy. Well, they also hold the patents on the virus and the vaccines uh, and uh, prior to the outbreak, by the way, um, with major stakes uh, in these profits. What could go wrong? Uh, and... Uh, so, you know, they reverse course on the COVID-19 vaccine patents, showing that they had the patents. And this is uh, exposed uh, nowhere in, in greater measure than Dr. David Martin and Reiner Fulmich. Um, this, my friends, is the definition of criminal conspiracy. This is not theory. This is evidence. And they have uh, criminal uh, complaints that they are, have filed. Um, and you can review that. His company, MCAM, has reviewed over 4,000 patents that have been issued around the SARS coronavirus, including a comprehensive review of the financing. Over 120 patented pieces of evidence to suggest that the declaration of a novel coronavirus was actually entirely a fallacy. In other words, it was created. Um, and for profits. Profits which incentivize hospitals to... Uh, to enter to get positive tests because they get a $13,000 for each patient with a positive COVID test and to put them on ventilators because they get $40,000 for getting them on ventilators. Most of them on ventilators don't survive uh, because it is the wrong treatment for the wrong disease. Um, and, and this shows the incentivization here in this, uh, August 25th, 2020, expose by Sage Edwards. Uh, FDA is tasked with keeping us safe, and yet emergency use authorization is invoked for vaccines, which fails to meet its own requirements. They had four requirements for the use of emergency use, which allowed the vaccines without proper testing. Um, and the latest one tested on just eight mice before it went, uh, this particular booster, to... Um, to the public. Uh, so you have to have a serious or life-threatening disease or condition. Well, did we have that? No. Uh, the viral Instagram post claimed that COVID is 99% survivable for most age groups. Is that uh, an emergency? Uh, cited projections from the Centers for Disease Control and CDC. The expert consensus does indeed place the death rate at below 1% for most age groups. B, you have to have evidence of effectiveness. Is the vaccine effective? No, they're not working the way they th we were told that they would work. The fully vaccinated adults are testing positive for COVID-19 at about the same rate as none. Uh, in fact, more 
uh, the, the rate is greater that they're testing positive, uh, the, the vaccinated individuals, it's giving them COVID. Was that part of the solution? C, risk-benefit analysis, the known and potential risks, whether, uh, whether, whether the known and potential benefits of the product outweigh the known and potential risks. Uh, clearly, they don't. We saw that there's 29,000 people dead, and that's just probably uh, 1%. Uh, of them, maybe 30%. Um, there didn't have to be no other alternatives. Were there other alternatives? Yeah, hydroxychloroquine and, and ivermectin were proven effective at early treatment. So how about the implementation of draconian policies and surveillance, our final parallel? Uh, we have the Patriot Act, the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012, the Military Commissions Act, allowing the arrests of Americans without cause, without a right to a trial, lawyer, or jury to be held indefinitely, even to be tortured and assassinated. We also have the illegal and unconstitutional mass surveillance. Yeah, it's a problem. What do we have with regard to COVID? Lockdown, social distancing, vaccinations, and tracking. Uh, the public awakens to and loses faith in the, excuse me, uh, uh, contact tracing, uh, which uh, began and due to public outrage, uh, I don't think it's continuing. Matthew, is the contact tracing still going on? I'm not sure, but um, I'll, I'll be honest. When I started looking at the contact tracing studies, uh, I felt like they were nonsense. I, I think that, that that whole program was a sham. What do you mean? I, I, I think that... Um, it was a political I, purpose or, or what? Uh, I, I think it was a theater. Theater for what effect? Um, well, for a number of reasons. One, to, to suggest, um, oh, look, you know, if you have this sort of perfect response, like in China, zero COVID, you can control all this stuff. Um, you know, you should look at what they're doing. That may be part of it. It could also be, you know, sort of, uh, vote buying or opinion buying, opinion buying um, by throwing money at a bunch of people and training them to go around and, and you know, talk to people with, with um, you know, with uh, um, clipboards. But um, there, there are a lot of the results that actually don't fit the results of, of studies, like in terms of the number of people who transmitted indoor versus outdoor. And, uh, and uh, I, I'd have to go back and look at my notes. But um, ultimately, I felt like, you know, this is probably just money laundering, uh, you know, like, like really just, I don't know, throwing money at some people just to create the appearance of, of trying to control things. Yeah. Well, the, the, the most important and final parallel is foreknowledge where we have predictive programming, uh, in, in, for regard to nine 11, the, the, we have feature films, cartoons, comic books. We have 61 examples uh, predictive programming, where we're we're programming the public to be prepared psychologically, and so they can actually accept what's about to happen. In this case, uh, life beyond the big boom, showing the twin towers, showing two thousand and one uh, New York Magazine, um, and in this case, uh, the lone gunman episode. Uh, Hijacking an airliner and running it into Twin Towers. Washington. Six months earlier. World Trade Center. We're going to crash the plane into the World Trade Center. I'll tell the flight crew. Land link. Can you override the flight control system? I'm working on it. 
So you have this event that's 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 programming people. The license plate on uh, in the Matrix, Neo's uh, license expires, not plate, but license uh, on 11 September 01. A lot of this kind of stuff, uh, the attacks on the towers, uh, uh, and and 911 as is always uh, a a big part of it um, uh, in games and in cartoons and. Uh, attacks on the towers here, even including Muslims in airplanes with bombs, uh, all before uh, 2001. Some cases, uh, a decade or two before. Have you ever heard of uh, Have you ever heard of Captain Planet? No. Oh, this is an interesting one. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that maybe um, that appears to me to be uh, like predictive programming, and it was a cartoon that was created by a, a military intelligence insider who went to Ted Turner at CNN and asked him to fund it. That was the same guy who uh, dreamed up the remote viewing program and all of the super soldier, you know, uh, psychic stuff that was probably, you know, money being laundered for something else. Um, but he, he worked with, uh, his name was Jim Channing, and he worked with uh, one of the generals who thought that 9-11, who at least stated that he thought 9-11 was an inside attack, and that was Major General Albert Stubblebein. The two mm -hmm. of them worked together. Stubblebein came in in 1980 um, at the end of the Carter administration, I, I think probably selected by Berzhezhensky, but to to reorganize all of, of U.S. military intelligence. And I think I've got a quote from him where he he sort of predicts the um, the office, the DNI, Avril Haines, uh, what's that, the defense... Uh, uh, I, I can't remember what the name of the office is, but it, it's the the office that was created in 2004 after 9-11, where that person has uh, the authority to tell all the 17 intelligence agencies what to do. Mm, yeah. Wow. And, and Avril Haines, who is in that position right now, her father was a, it is a biologist for Rockefeller University who has spent his career studying cell death. Cell death. Yeah. Okay, so, well, uh, lots of interesting stuff. And over on the COVID side, it gets even more interesting because back in 2012, we have the Olympic Games opener, uh, which shows us what uh, hundreds of, of hospital uh, beds uh, all around the arena, uh, overshadowed by this death like creature with a needle like object in his arms, uh, these all being uh, children. Uh, so uh, the, the foreknowledge of pandemic uh, is, is uh, given uh, uh, well a decade before um, the almost the, the, the outbreak here uh, with even uh, shades of, of Wuhan uh, shown uh, in, in some of them. So uh, rather, a rather incredible uh, uh, foreshadowing there, too. So, you know, the question we have to ask is, were we set up for the pandemic by 9-11? That's, that's a very, very important uh, question. And given all of the evidence that we have uh, shown, we, we have to see, and the parallels that, that we've shown between them, we, we have to uh, realize that, yeah, we, we've been set up for both of these, and uh, one helped us to 
helped them to slide more easily uh, in, into the next one. And, and God forbid, if we don't wake up, uh, the third one, the third big one like this uh, uh, could be right around the corner. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you, and you, when people say follow the money, um, you know, the biggest piece of money to follow is the currency, the world currency, right? Um, the cur I like to say the currency is the banks, is the military. These are institutions that that essentially cannot be divorced from one another. And, and when we think about the possibility that the dollar is heading toward it, the end of its days, right? Uh, the dollar is, is um, you know, we, we may be at the very beginning stages of hyperinflation now, um, but there, there could be something like an attempt to throw a currency over the whole world. And I, I actually wonder, I, I wonder, you know, to the extent that the uh, conflict in Ukraine was planned, that it is part of this whole event. And, uh, and I, you know, when, when you start looking at all the names of people who have been involved, uh, Ralph Barrick, Peter Daszak, you know, these names are run out in front of us, right? It's not even, it's not subtle. It's not even, um, you know, hidden. Uh, and then uh, Robert Kodlak, who created a position while he was working for Senator Richard Burr um, that controls the national strategic stockpile, and then uh, was put into that position himself uh, years later. Uh, what all three of these men have in common, they're Ukrainian. Oh, I didn't and, know that. And, and you know, it, it's an interesting question, you know, like, you know, what, you know, in Ukraine, you have people who favor Russia and you have people who, who, who don't. But of course, the entire history of Russia in Ukraine is fraught with, you know, really ugly events like the Holodomor. And, you know, you could have people there who um, who are, you know, sellouts to their own people, you know, selected through the the sieve of, you know, psychopath finding who are then the types who are put in positions um, where they wouldn't be noticed necessarily. Um, there, there were also the twin brothers uh, who were uh, Ukrainian. And I'm, I'm forgetting their name at the moment that I tangled with one of them on on Twitter a few months ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, an enormous number, an enormous presence of Ukrainians within, within all of this planning, um, you know, uh, Dash can barrack the most, but Cadillac, um, I saw Meryl Nass write about him yesterday. Uh, people should be paying attention. Then Victoria Newland, you know, Victoria, fuck Europe, Newland, right? Um, and you know, like, what are the, what are all these bio labs really, you know, is, is that, is that show? You know, like it was that just money laundering, people putting money in their pocket, but having an excuse for why we would encircle Russia and be able to play it in the press so that you have, you know, two sides uh, you know, of America being pulled in two different directions over it. Um, it it's very complicated. They've had longer to plan this. Um, and, and I say they, and I don't even know how to define who they are. But uh, one thing that, that I think that everybody should be thinking and taking away from this is if you don't really know who runs your government, it's not your government. If the hierarchy <laughs> is so high that it's invisible, right? If you can't see what the intelligence agencies are doing. And, and what was housed in World Trade Center 7 was a lot of the history of American intelligence agencies right mm -hmm. there. Boom, blown up. We'll never have it again. We won't know where a lot of those people came from, what what they were doing, you know, during uh, you know second half of the twentieth century, or really since um, you know since World War II. You know, uh, maybe maybe all the plans were there. Two men that I that I mentioned, Jim Channing and Albert Stubblebein, both died in twenty seventeen, and twenty seventeen is the year when we see a lot of very specific events um, that that would be involved in planning if that's the correct hypothesis. Wow. Well, 
Well, we'll have to discuss that again another time. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, we we've covered so much there today. Are, are 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 we at the end of your presentation here? Should we wrap things up? And yep, and uh, we're yeah, going to have to. And, and thank you, you know, thank you to a very patient audience. Um, the numbers kept growing as we were uh, as we were discussing this. Um, so we're glad that we could you know, bring you a discussion that was, uh, that kept your attention. It was worth watching. Uh, and I suspect that includes a lot of people who already knew a great deal about one or the other, or both of these events who have already done a lot of, you know, reading, uh, uh you know, uh, call it conspiracy theory, whatever you like, I'll, I'll call it science. You know, you, you investigate, you test theories. Um, but thanks so much for joining us today, Richard. And thank you. Um, you know, thank everybody in the audience. Uh, uh, you know, I, I hope that it was um, it was educational and I'll be doing uh, some write ups on pieces of this. And, and today we discussed some things that I haven't written on yet, but plan to put that that evidence together for. So take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.